Welcome back to the Baseball Playground. This is your host, Jacob O'Dell. And Coach Ben McGowan. And today we have a super awesome guest. His name is Jake Banwert, and he runs a facility called Indy South and also runs a whole bunch of travel programs over with BAM. <laughs> and Jake, just run us through the awesome stuff that you've got going on, man. Yeah, so I'm currently head coach at Perry Meridian High School on the south side of Indianapolis. Um, we have a facility about five to ten minutes from there, extra innings Indy South. Uh, and out of that, we run travel program baseball and fast pitch academics Midwest or BAM and FAM. Um, and that's up to 36 teams between the baseball and softball side. Uh, we do all of our training at the indoor facility there, uh, and then we work with a group called Hot Corner Athletics out of New York. Uh, together, we make up Dugout Coalition, which does online coaches training and certification processes, as well as player drill portals. Um, and uh, on top of that, I do a lot of mental training. So baseball, but all athletes in general from you know the middle school range all the way up to, to college athletes that I get a chance to work with one-on-one. Um, in peak performance and mindset training as well. So I taught for eight years. Uh, I made the jump to to go full time in baseball and softball two years ago, and uh, haven't looked back, and and don't plan on on looking back in the near future. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely what we want to talk about here today with the mentality, the mental toughness, what you got yeah. going on at at Bamfam, and um, even with Dugout Coalition and how all that stuff started. So my first question to you, brother, is. What are some of the common misconceptions that a lot of high school players have with the recruiting process with going to college? Yeah, I think they really sway like to one extreme or the other. You get a lot of kids that, you know, in eighth grade, they assume that they're D1. Um, and a lot of times it's parents that, that think that they're D1. And, you know, as we've seen in, in the travel ball world, you can be really good if you're playing at lower level competition. Um, and a lot of parents just haven't seen what upper level competition looks like. So it's really getting them in the right areas to, to be challenged, to play against the best competition, to see really where they fall. Um, and the flip side of that, in my mind, is that a lot of kids look at the percentages and they assume that there's no chance for them to play college baseball because, you know, only 7% of high school players move on. Um, but some of that is, is just based on who wants to play in college and how much work you're putting in and uh, if you're putting in the time to actually do the things that you need to do to progress that way. So I feel like if we can center all of it from, hey, he's definitely D1 or she's definitely D1 um, and avoid the other extreme of I'm not good enough and can never play there and really just take it day by day, um, it would be a lot easier, a lot more manageable for, for people going through that process. Now you run, you run a great facility. What do you see as, in, in terms of, you know, we're, we're out on the West coast. So facilities, yep. we, there's a couple, um, but you know, we're outside, we're, we're playing when during the winter, you're obviously indoors, you're, you're hitting, you're doing all your drills, everything's indoor, uh, you know, indoor based. How long does it take a player to, to, Get used to live pitching, be on a field, things like that. What is the tra- you know the the transition? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the the transition from indoor to outdoor, especially on the hitting side, is challenging. And we see that pitchers dominate early in the spring. Um, you know, you can do live at bats. There's a, a lot of facilities that do. We do a good amount of them as well. But the lighting in there is different than what you're going to see outside, and, and you're in a tunnel. Uh, so the biggest things we see is that 
players, a lot of times, like there's so much in the middle of the field that we don't get into power alleys because if you do indoors, you don't see the ball travel. And kids love to see the ball travel. So uh, the only place to see it travel is straight back up the middle, which isn't a terrible thing. Uh, but, you know, you get outside and, and pitchers are a little bit more advanced because they've been throwing all winter as well. Uh, they've, you know, obviously built up to, to throw longer in games already at that point, and, and hitters are a little bit behind uh, from what they've they've been in seeing. So we got to get creative with uh, how we how we train hitters in the offseason a little bit. For us, I'm a big proponent of win reality. I think the ability to track pitches and, and do some of that, you got to get creative if you don't have the ability to be outside all year. So that's a huge piece for us. Uh, machine work is huge for us. And, and finding the balance with the machine work rather than you know setting it at 60 feet and throwing it at 85, the spin rate on those things is wild. You, you got to go a little bit shorter and a little bit slower to to give it more of a real feel for hitters. But that's the challenge. It always is, is figuring out what that looks like coming out of the gate. Uh, and I think that that's a big reason on the recruiting side that when you look at, at Power Fives, you get a, a lot of Midwest arms uh, and you get less Midwest position players. I, I think that probably plays a big role in it. Yeah, there's a, a huge, huge gap between you know the East and West with a lot of these things. But what are some of the some of the drills that kids who might not be able to go out on the field might not be able to play catch outside. What are some of the drills that they can do to just better their skills and prepare for the season coming forward? Yeah. So I do all of our infield training for, for the facility. uh, And then we have hitting instructors and and I dabble in that a little bit. I just love training the the defensive side more, but the biggest thing that, that we preach on the hitting side is really simple. I think most guys don't understand their own process. And they get into the cage and they just want to swing and they don't love the tee. And and I get it. It's not the most fun thing, but getting into routines and and really finding the joy and the monotony of what baseball can be uh, in the Midwest. Like that's, that's a huge piece for us. So really it's, it's med ball stuff. It's, it's banded stuff. It's PVC, really any of the swing prep stuff that they can figure out, Hey, in 15 minutes, how do I get myself feeling ground contact, understanding what my swing should feel like. So that way, when I do get outside or I do get into a cage in live pitching, I know what my swing is. And if we can own the swing side, then it's a lot easier to teach the approach side. So, you know, for every hitter, I think it's really easy to go online and you can find all of these great drills. Uh, and most of them have a benefit, but not every single drill is going to work for every single player. So for them, it's really figuring out like, hey, what works for me? And for me, that's working backwards, right? Like, what does my swing look like? What do I want it to look like? What do I need to do to get it to that point? And if you work with the end in mind and really set that plan in motion, then they're going to be in good shape. But I think there's a lot of go in, hope I get better today and just take a lot of swings and feel like I worked hard without the intent. Uh, So one of the big things that we preach with everything is intent, intent on every single drill that you're doing less reps, uh, but, and, and a little bit more time between them. Um, We had the luxury of, of Mookie Betts coming to our facility a couple months ago. He was actually in town for a bowling tournament and uh, needed to get some swings in. So we're like, yeah, we, you can come to our place. That's great. And, And watching him swing. I think a lot of our players saw, you know, there was more time between reps. He was really feeling what he was doing. He was making adjustments between each pitch that he saw. He was staying right center in everything that he did. But the intent that he showed uh, was exactly the difference between what you see between a pro and an amateur. I mean, it, it was night and day what you would see a 12-year-old kid doing what he was doing, not just the barrel percentage, but the intent that he had for every single rep. So more than any specific drill, it's really that, like develop intent and know your own process. 
your facility, you only have from three to, you know, what, 10 o'clock at night to, to be able to train, to be able to train players. How many players are typically, you know, (laughs) at your facility at one time? How, you know, how do they separate themselves from the others? Yeah. So we pack that thing out. It's awesome. Uh, We have a few nights a week that are our group lesson nights. So basically what we do is we offer speed and agility, weight training, hitting, catching, and infield instruction multiple nights a week. And the way that we have it structured is a kid can come in and he can do, let's say he comes in at five. Well, he can do a speed and agility at five, his infield at six, his hitting at seven. So we structure it based on age groups so that they can kind of cycle through and do all of their training in one single spot. And the unique thing that that there's a few facilities around the country that do, uh, but most do not, is you know, if you come in to train with us, you're not training with Jake Banwart. You are training with the extra innings Indy South infield. So whether I'm there or not, it's the same programming. And I think we, we get players that get so attached to an individual coach that when coach leaves, the player's lost. They don't know what to do. So for us, it's really like our number one goal is that the player becomes their own best coach through the offseason that we can put them through. So from a, a training side, like they come in. You know, we max our infield at 12 in an hour session. Uh, we have two coaches in there at all times, and it's structured really, really well. So they get a lot of reps, but they also get to compete. And that's the biggest thing that's missing a lot of times in the winter is they they lack the competitive spirit. They just try to get better, and then they get outside, and they haven't competed in months, so they forget what it's like to be in a game and, and what that really feels like. So for us, it's, it's doing it that way. You know, we'll have 18 hitters at one time with three instructors. Uh, you know, we, we basically go a six-to-one ratio in most cases for player to coach. Uh, I think that you can get a lot done in that sense. But, you know, the, the one-on-ones – used to be huge but the reality is if you're hitting for an hour one-on-one you better take a few breaks because your swing's going to get tired so to have extra people and really to be able to bounce and learn off of the other players that you're with uh, as long as the grouping is good and they're with you know players that are similar skill sets that can be really really good so for us it, it looks like that during the week and then on the weekends you know, we'll run basically 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, one for our softball program, one for our baseball, where we call it positionals. There's an hour session for our 8 to 12U infield and then 12 to 14 and then our high school. But we'll go infield, outfield, pitching, catching, base running, hitting. We basically cover everything. So for us, it's it's the development factor. And really, you know, when we created our program, the goal was to bridge the gap between developmental teams, which typically just aren't very good, but they're trying really hard to make players better. And then you have your high-level showcase teams, which are really good, but don't necessarily develop players. And the development turns into it's all kind of one-on-one on your own. So for us, when we started, it was how do we bridge the gap between those two and really develop our, our players and get the high-level players to, to continue to want to be there? So... It's a lot of that training. Uh, and then when we talk approach, you know, a lot of that stuff can be taught without a cage. So, you know, we will get on Zoom with all of our program and, and we'll have four hour days or five hour days where we break down peak performance training and the baseball IQ training where we'll go through hitting approach two strike approach, what we call our alpha at bats uh, and the rules behind those that dictate games a lot of times. So, you know, it's feeding them the knowledge, but also giving them the ways to apply that knowledge to better themselves. For someone that's not, you know, hitting at your facility, they're a high school kid, they're in, you know, South Dakota. Yep. Um, what advice would you give them to, to get better as far as mentality or alpha approach or whatever, um, you know, you, you share? What would be something that you would share with them? I, I, you got to simplify things. 
And a lot of times it gets so complex of, well, on this count, I got to look for this pitch and do that. And nobody's wrong in thinking that, but you only have a certain amount of time before you step back in the box and you have to be relaxed and understand what you're doing. So, you know, we call them power phrases or, or simple commands that keep them fresh in your mind of what you're thinking. Uh, and they need to be really simple. So, you know, we have three main alpha bats, and these are straight from Matt Deggs. I think he does a, an incredible job, college hitting coach. But, you know, leading off an inning is important, and our goal is to to get on base 50% of the time when we do that. And basically our simple rule is don't take strike three. So they go up there, and they're like th- their mindset is fight with two or win with two. Then we get into situations, run around third less than two outs. We got to get that run across. We we don't have time to sit there and wait. So, uh, alpha bat rule there is don't take strike one. And are we step in the box? And that power phrase for them is attack the first strike. So, really simple. And then the last one is run around second two outs. We we don't want to take strike two. So we want to hunt something we can drive in those situations. A lot of times when we're in those situations as hitters, we're looking for something so perfect, and then we don't get that, and suddenly we're down 0-2, and we're not in a position to actually see something else that we can drive. So it's really just, like I said before, you got to begin with the end in mind. You have to know what works for you as a hitter, and then develop your process to do that. So you know, one of the products that we pass out, and I think is huge for all players, is our Always Grind books. Uh, They do an incredible job. They customize books for us, but I think where hitters go wrong a lot is you go 0-3, and let's say you're 0 for 3 and you find three barrels. Well, you don't feel good about it because you were 0 for 3. Well, the next day you're 3 for 3 with three swinging butt singles and you don't feel good about it because you didn't find a barrel. Well, there's this moving target of what success is, so you never reach it and you always feel like you're not good enough. So step one for any hitter anywhere is like define what success is. Figure out what that looks like for you. Is it barrel percentage? Is it batting average? Is it on base? Any of them are fine, but you got to know what you're utilizing to define what success is because then you can plan how to actually be successful in, in finding that. And the Always Grind books help because you leave a game and you're mad. Well, the next day you forget all of the details of what happened in your at-bats. So being able to open that back up and see, here's what I did. Here's what I really need to focus on today. It just continues to drive that development in season when when you're not getting that personal touch from coaches a lot of times because you know I got 18 guys on my varsity roster. I don't have time to do the one-on-one as much as I would like in season as I do off season. So players really got to figure out how to do that themselves. I think you're absolutely right. I think the always grind, you know, for those that don't know, it's a book. It's a it's basically like a a self manual of how your at bats went, where the pitches were thrown yep. and things like that. I think they do a great job as well. But you don't need that book per se. You could get a notebook. You could yep. get anything and, and keep your keep your at bats and you know what you saw and, and how you felt and, and things like that. And I think that's a great um concept, especially for high school hitters. Yes. Um, you know, the high school hitters need to get pre- prepared for the college game. And, and that's really big at that next level. And yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It, it makes total sense. I love the alpha at bats. Um, I wrote them down that, that stuff that, um, I think that's great. I think we have to definitely, uh, spread that word because it's, it definitely will separate some, some players. For, it really just changes the approach of every guy in your lineup. Um, you know, when they get up there and, and you can remind them, hey, know your alpha, understand the situation, it really just locks them into what they're trying to do. And, you know, baseball is a game where your thoughts run rampant. So having having more clarity of your vision when you step into the box is going to do nothing but help. You have something that uh, I heard on a podcast with you about your three principles of sabotage. I want you to dive into the, the principles of sabotage that you got, man. 
When, what did you see? Which principles were, was I talking about? So there's a few different routes I go with those. <laughs> you were talking about the self-sabotage, uh, the personal, and I think there was a coaching sabotage or something. Yeah, as well. okay. Yep, yep. All right, so I, I think this is huge to go through with athletes uh, and, and them just kind of figure out themselves. So when when I talk about this with athletes, basically we break down three things, and everybody has them. Uh, a lot of people try to deny that they have them, but the reality is we have natural thoughts that come into our head that are really negative and they're not conscious. We're not trying to do that, but they're, they're still present and the subconscious kicks them into our mind. So really recognition is the number one thing. So once we recognize them, then we have the power to actually make a change. But I like to break it down into three different categories. So number one is your personal saboteur. So like when you're a coach or you're a player, what, what is it about yourself and you can go offense, defense, whatever it is. What is it about yourself that constantly comes into your mind that is negative like what's that negative thought about your hitting uh for for me as a coach like i break it down into what's my negative thought about the game of baseball itself what's my negative thought about my team and then what's my negative thought about my coaching and for me it's it's really really simple because like I had a kind of weird path to get to this point. I didn't play college baseball. I, I honestly hated the game. Uh, I had some some negative experiences with coaches and just relationships, and I, I needed to step away. And, and from doing that and getting back into it, uh, it really drives how I coach. So for, for my personal self-saboteur, it's, man, I'm, I'm not qualified for this. I didn't play in college. And it, especially when I started, that would come up a lot. It was like, man, do I belong here? How, how did I get here? And you got to come up with what we call that that counteracting power phrase that really brings you back to your own reality of of why you're there, what that is to you. And and for me, it's it's just the simple thought that like my path was just different, but it made me who I am. So like yeah, I don't have a traditional path, but that doesn't mean I'm I'm less beneficial or less productive than any other coach because my path brought me here, and I'm really good at what I do. So like getting back to that point, I think is key. Uh, when I look at my team, my constant one as a coach to my team is like, why do I care more than them? And the, the counteracting point for me there is like, I, I need to show them how to care. Like these are high school kids that might not have that at home. They might not know what it looks like to put in that hard work. They might think they're giving all that they have. And from the outside, looking in, like, I just know they have a lot more to give. So how do I show that and model that to them? And then about the game of baseball, it's it's like, well, why are we doing this? Like, there's so much failure, right? The game of baseball that it's easy to just be like, why are we why are we setting ourselves up for failure after failure? But the reality is, with everything that we do, that that growth mindset I think is huge. And being in a position to know that you're going to do something today that you couldn't do yesterday is like the greatest feeling in the world. And it's just that I call it IG times T equals EG. Incremental growth over time is exponential growth. And a lot of players give up the mini growth because they don't think it's big enough. It's just not, it's not, I'm not going to grow enough from this. So they pass it by. So I think when players can outline those like, man, what, what do I believe about myself? That's negative. What do I believe about my teammates? That's negative. What do I believe about baseball? That's negative. When those things enter your mind, you can recognize them right away and call them out. Um, and Austin Byler does a great job of this. And one of the things that he uses with major league university is he just says, breathe air. And, and I'm big into box breathing. We do visualization with our team every single day. Uh, and, and the air is an acronym, and I love this, and it stands for acknowledge. So acknowledge the negative thought that's going into your mind or the negative play that you just had, and then intercept that thought. You, you can't let that continue. 
but it's going to be there. So you have to intercept that and figure out how do I change that thought? And then the last one is replace it, right? So we acknowledge it, we intercept it, and then we replace it. But if we don't know what we're replacing it with on the front end, then that's where we get a little bit confused and we lack clarity. So recognizing all these things on the front end before games happen and knowing in a game that you have this in your toolbox to bounce off of it quickly just helps you stay locked in. And that's the biggest thing. We're all going to have moments, but what's your bounce back ability? How quickly do you go from struggling to getting back on track and avoiding those so-called slumps? Because there's no, in my mind, there's no such thing as a slump. Like you can be 0 for 1 or 1 for 1 every at-bat. Slumps only happen because you start to stack the at-bats that you're having when they really have nothing to do with each other. Like they're unrelated events. So we make them related, but we shouldn't because then we add pressure and we try to make up for at-bats that are long gone that we, we actually can't control at that time. This is amazing. You're absolutely right. Everything <laughs> you just said is, is absolutely right. I'm, I'm almost speechless. Um, I think not only does... Does this mentality help a baseball player? I think it helps these players in life, right? Yes. I mean, you, you're going to do this when you when you go to work and, hey, you know what? I had a real bad day and you know what? You got to intercept that thought that, hey, maybe I'm not the best salesman. Um, I got to, you know, intercept it and, and replace it and, and do better. Um, I think that's the best part about baseball is that we do fail because these players understand that, hey, it's not all going to work out the way that we want it. When you when you're discussing mentality and, and approaches to players, is there one thing that you emphasize more than others? Are you simplifying it for for every player, or are you complex thought processes? So you got to start simple with everybody, and, and from there you dive into their internal, and it gets more complex. And and sometimes, honestly, getting more complex is actually getting more simple because the player is too complex. But everybody's thought process is going to be a little bit different, but. You know, what I found is even different sports play the how a player is portraying certain things looks different. But a lot of times the underlying issues are extremely similar for athletes across the board. So for me, like the starting point for everybody, I'll do two things with every player. The first one that I'll do is I'll have them draw a circle on their piece of paper and they make a pie chart of everybody in their life that they give value to their opinion. So when they think about their self-value or self-worth, they outline it and they put a percentage with it. Like I give, you know, 20% to my coaches and 10% to my girlfriend and 15% to social media, whatever that looks like for them. And it never fails because they finish that whole pie chart that was described as their self value. And the one thing that's missing in it is how they view themselves. The vast majority of players don't even write themselves in there. So they're saying that their self value or their idea of what success is, is solely based on what all of these other people are telling them. So step one is like we need to become the majority owner of our own of our, our own success or our own self-value. I mean, if, if we are the minority owner in that, then we're essentially saying that we don't actually control if we're successful or not because it's solely based on everybody else. And that's a rough way to live. That That's striking out, looking into the stands. That's going up to bat, nervous about what coach is going to think. Like whether you're on the field or not consistently – it's about you satisfying yourself and knowing that like you are reaching or pushing towards the goals that you have and you outlining what success looks like for you individually. From there, then step two really is developing that personal belief system. And this is something that I have players keep in their locker uh, at the high school level and everybody else keep with them or write in their always grind book if that's something they're taking to games. But I have them write out everything that they believe to be true about themselves as a baseball player or an athlete, like whatever sport I'm working with. And the reason that I do that is it gets really easy in a game 
to be playing poorly and start to believe that you're not very good. And just like in life, it gets really easy. Like if your day doesn't start well to assume that you're going to have a bad day and wish the rest of the day away. So in my mind, like I'm a big proponent of starting the day with a morning routine, doing daily gratitude. Like when you start with gratitude, you fall back to that. So as a player, if you start with your belief system, you're going to fall back to that. You have one bat at bat, but you read right before the game, I'm a good hitter. I have a great two-strike approach. I trust my training. And that's something that you read every single game. Well, one bat at bat, you're going to fall back to as one bat at bat. I'm a great hitter. If you don't do those things, one bat at bat could be, this is going to be a really bad day. I can't do that again. Next time you start to stack and add that pressure. So a lot of it for me, you know, from players is just really gaining clarity. Like I feel like mental training or this mindset stuff, so many people are afraid of it because they think that like it's it's this psychological thing and like you have to have something wrong with you to get this help but there, there's never a point with your swing that you stop training it because you're like it just feels good I don't need to hit anymore so and like I don't understand from a mindset side how you get to a point where you're like no I, I don't struggle with that I don't need to to work that anymore until it's a problem and then everybody needs the help so really like for players even if you have a great mindset it's continuously working that and making sure that you stay locked into that mindset that keeps you away from needing the big, deep work of, of getting out of something that you could have avoided all along. That personality coincides with the personality of the actual individual. Yeah. And how are you guys almost seeing the different sides of people and how are they being trained because like we had rock riggio on the show and rock riggio is just an absolute dog he just doesn't give a care in the world about what other people think he's just going to go out there and ball and play games but there's a lot of opposing kid mentalities that are like okay like i just want to play the game i don't know what's wrong with me i'm not doing well so how are you attacking those different personalities that kids have Uh, i think the number one key is that you need to model everything that you are telling them because they they need to believe that what you're saying has value. And the only way that they believe it is that you believe it. And, and a lot of times as coaches, like you know these things help, but you also know that it's, it's kind of different or out-of-the-box training. So the way that we present it doesn't have the confidence behind it, so players don't believe in that. So step one is, is modeling that, but step two is like, if you don't have a relationship with these kids, they're not going to listen to what you have to say anyways. So it's being vulnerable and, and sharing your own story, which can be hard for a lot of adults, but like sharing my story of not playing in college and the things that I've struggled with, like that goes a long way in building that trust and that foundation where kids are more open to being vulnerable. Um, and I think like one, one big thing that we do is we talk to them about what toughness really looks like, because especially for the young males, there's this idea that toughness means acting like nothing bothers me and like I, I don't get upset about anything because I'm tough and I'm cool and you know that that idea. But the reality is toughness is vulnerability. Like it in order to be tough, I have to know what I struggle with to come up with ways to to overcome those things or those struggles. But if we don't get to the vulnerability of allowing ourselves to do that, then we can never build the toughness on the back end. And I think like taking what might seem like these big complex ideas and putting it in terms that can be understood by an eight-year-old is the key. Because whether they're eight or they're 16, it's all about simplicity of understanding. Because once they get that, then they're bought in. But a lot of times, like I say this to when we do our coaches training stuff, it's the difference as a coach in feeling like you have to be right in what you say 
or you have to train them to do the actions that you're wanting them to do because there's a difference. And oftentimes like we have to train things in such a perfect way because we're afraid of saying something that might be wrong that the kids don't understand it. Well, just like hitting, like I might tell one kid to swing down on the ball, the other one to uppercut it to get the same result because it just depends on the player. Same thing with the mindset stuff. Like one kid, you might have to be really tough on and let him know, like, I don't, I'm not responsible for your feelings. Like you can cry and throw your glove, but your glove didn't make an error. It's your fault. And some of them need that. Others, you got to put your arm around them and be like, hey, what's really going on? Like, did, is, is this baseball or is this, did you bring this in with you? Like what was going on before you got here? So just finding a feel for people. And in any business that you could be in, like, this is the one thing that I loved about teaching was like, you got to learn people. And, and once you learn people, then the skill or what you know, and that value can be added. But if you don't know how to relate to people and you can't talk to people and figure out how to meet them where they are, then you can be the smartest person in the world and add no value to anyone's life. So that's, that's step one for any coach is like, whether you know the game great or you barely know it, like get to know your people and that's that you'll be way better off for it yeah building relationship is huge huge at at all levels and and i think that's i think that's lost now on on some coaches it's more you know they're always yelling or they're always doing these things because they feel embarrassed right they're like oh man we we practice this like and they're not getting it done you know we see that all the time when we're coaching against other teams and um I feel like you're absolutely right. Like you build that relationship, you create a great mentality for these, for these players and they're going to be opening up with you, which will allow yes. you to open up with them. And you know what, maybe you might actually make it onto their pie chart. So that, uh, that, that might be, right. there you go. Uh, might be beneficial. Yep. What books would you recommend to, to baseball players that want to get more into the mental side of the game? Yeah. Uh, Atomic Habits is number one for me. I think that that book is incredible. Uh, it, it takes, Concepts that can be difficult to understand and really puts them in ways that are applicable for anybody. Uh, the biggest takeaway for me there was taking your habits and, and players do this. So like, oh, I got to get better at hitting. I'm going to outline this hour and a half hitting routine that I'm going to do every day. Well, it's just overwhelming some days. So the the simplest thing that I love from that is like any habit that you're trying to form, keep it two minutes or under. And, and like I had a player that I was working with one-on-one mindset stuff and his goal is to get stronger. And we set the goal for him that every morning he was going to do one push-up, and he averaged about 35. But the goal was get down into push-up position because once you're there and you do one, you're going to be like, I'm already here. I might as well do more. But if you set the goal of doing 50 push-ups a morning before you ever get down, you're like, oh, that's a lot. I don't want to do this. So, you know, not biting off more than you can chew, figuring some of those pieces out. Um, so that's a huge one. Champion's Mind is always a good one. Um, I, I was a huge fan of Mind Gym, which – really took time to outline like how to visualize. And and I feel like when we talk visualization in sports, a lot of people will say like, oh, there's huge benefits in visualization, but nobody ever goes into the detail of what it actually looks like to create a visualization strategy Mm -hmm. and and how to breathe properly and, you know, what it looks like to go through that. Um, Mind Gym actually does an incredible job of outlining not only how, uh, but actually creating your own like gym your own mental space of what that looks like and feels like and sounds like so that it's a comfortable place for you to kind of escape to uh whenever you want so that would be more for like high school athletes um and then i'm actually this is a good one this is what i'm currently reading but uh alistair mccaw's champion minded this is more of like a just a couple of pages a day like little snippets almost like a, a devotional but not religious type book of an everyday type read so uh, and just the habit of reading, I think, is is huge for players. Like, get into a habit 
of taking in or gathering information daily, you'll be a lot better at, at listening to coaches when you're challenging yourself every day to, to learn in that sense. So I'm a big reader. Run me through the process of visualization just because you had brought that up. So we're big on, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So basically there's two different like big types of visualization. There's eyes open and eyes closed. Uh, and Diamond Hall got big probably five or six years ago when he was at Wright State for eyes open visualization, which was like a lot of training that was ball in glove or bat in hand uh, that took the result out of it. So rather than a coach hitting it to you, you'd be ball in glove. You would work through in your mind the process of prep step, seeing the ball off the bat, approach, attack, going through all of your actions. So, you know, that really works for for mind-body connection um, before you start going live for for hitting or fielding. Eyes closed visualization is is really important as well, and uh, that's what I would prefer. I think eyes open, now you have win reality of things that you can do that with. But we're big on on basically four simple steps, and, and the Braves do this with their minor league system, but it's called ball meditation. And the way that we break it down, the B uh, is just breathing. So we take one minute to just focus in on our breathing and we'll, we'll focus in on box breathing. So it'll be a four second inhale through the nose. We hold for four seconds and then it's a four second exhale through the mouth and then repeat. So the first minute for them is just getting in tune with their breathing. So feeling that belly go up and down and just really getting present. Uh, these kids are, are constantly on their phone overstimulated at school, like a million different things. So causing them to just stop for one minute, uh, you feel a difference in the room of just like the, the calmness that takes over. So that's, that's for the first minute. Second minute, uh, is awareness. So for us, that's really connecting the mind to body and being present. So that's just rolling wrists or moving neck or, you know, whatever that is to feel their body where they are. They hear me say, be where your feet are probably 10 times a day. Uh, you know, every time I get a question of what, what are we doing after this or what's the, just be where your feet are, be present right here. So that minute is all about that. And then the last two minutes are where we get into like the big visualization. So minute number three, the first L is looking back. And basically, they get to play in their head their own personal highlight reel of things that they've accomplished in their baseball career. So that could be like big at-bats that they've had or strikeouts they've had. Um, and, and even challenging like college guys and now with Game Changer uh, doing the streaming, like you have the ability to actually watch some of your own highlights. It feels weird to do, but there's like mindset benefits of watching yourself succeed on screen. So three third minute is that. And then the last one is looking forward where we basically take all the successes that they had and we apply that to either the practice that they're about to go through, the game that we're about to be in, um, to where, you know, now they're seeing themselves be successful. And, you know, I, I would say the biggest hack in visualization is to, in your mind, not look at yourself on a screen like you're watching it, but experience it like you're doing it um, and, and really engaging every sense. And that's where a lot of players get lost as they see it, but you know, they don't smell it. They don't hear it. And we want them to like smell the popcorn in the stands, hear the bleachers, hear the the cleats. Like the more you can engage all of your senses, the more real your brain thinks it is. So the more it actually translates it and, and sends the same neuro pathways that it would as if you were physically doing it, which is wild to me. But like that's science. It's it, it works. You just got to you just got to put in the process and do it. My sheet is full. Yeah. I, I wrote so many <laughs> notes. I mean, this is this has been this has been great. This has been awesome. Um, give me one piece of advice for a young high school baseball player that is at home 
he hears this and he's like, man, I want to jump on board. I want to do this. What, what does he need to start? What's, what's step one? So how you do anything is how you do everything. And step one in my mind is to make a lifestyle change more than just a baseball change. So as simple as it is, um, you hear a lot of people say, you know, you got to get 1% better. And again, like these terms are great, but they're not defined. So 1% better is 1% is 14 minutes and 24 seconds of your day. So for anybody who's new to any of this, I would start there. Outline 14 minutes and 24 seconds in your morning that you can utilize to make yourself better. Whether that's reading, that's writing, that's a cold shower, that's hitting off the tee, like whatever that is, is fine. It's really that allotment of time that you are committing to yourself to get better every single day. And then from there, you can really figure out what's working and hone in on that. But getting started is is the most important thing. So a wrong decision in my mind is better than than indecision. So like if you hit for a week and that's your 1424 and you're like, man, this isn't working. Well, we can adjust, but you form that habit of, of spending that time every day. So do something, get started at the very least, and then be willing to adapt from there. Just a lot of self-awareness and kind of just figuring out who you are as an individual. And that's really Absolutely. difficult for a lot of the young guys, you know, they're, they're in this space and they don't know what's going on in life just quite yet. And a lot of people put the pressure that life is catching up to them where they have another, you know, 70 years of their life. Um, so it's, it's a huge ordeal. But coach, thank you for being on the show. We got one last segment for you, which is we do this with everybody. It's called Let's our last it. three outs. Um, so the very first question is, what's your favorite food? Favorite food, pizza. Anything on it? Uh, I mean, here's the thing. This, this is why it's pizza. When pizza's good, it's really good. But when pizza's bad, it's still pretty good. Like, you can't have bad pizza, <laughs> you know? So so it's got to be pizza. I'm, I'm a big pepperoni guy, but I grew up northwest suburbs of Chicago. So anytime you get an opportunity to have, like, legit Chicago deep dish, that's the move. Meat lover's deep dish is the move. Love it. I've, I've had it. It's so good. When I went out to Chicago, it's, it's amazing. What's your favorite movie? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, I would say like baseball movie. Let's go there. Baseball movie. Um, I love 42, but rookie of the year was my, my go-to as a kid that there's yeah. just so many great parts to that movie. Favorite baseball player that's dead or alive. Ooh, uh, Man, this is funny because I'm a big infield guy, but all-time favorite player has got to be Ken Griffey Jr. I think just the, the – obviously he was a dude, but the joy that he played the game with was unmatched. Uh, and I think like that was that was the biggest thing for me growing up watching that was like how to continue to have fun and you know not lose that idea of being a kid while playing a game. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Uh, where can people reach out to you if they want to get any mental coaching – or they just want to check out what you got going on. Yeah, so biggest spots are uh, either TikTok or Instagram. Uh, both have the same handle. It's at CoachBanwart20. Um, and feel free to DM if you want to get going on mindset stuff. Like I said, I have you know mindset programs. I do one-on-one and small group. Um, I also travel and speak a little bit to different teams or schools. So whatever that looks like, if it's infield training, anything like that, um, my goal, I literally write it every day. And my goal is just to just make the biggest impact in the baseball community. So whatever that looks like, I'm, I'm probably game. I'm a, I'm a big yes guy. So I'll say yes. <laughs> That's awesome. You're doing a great job. You're doing, I appreciate you're doing an amazing it. job. Thank you so much for being on the show and, and just really excited to, uh, to see you grow and, and see this whole program grow. It's going to be awesome. 
Absolutely. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Coach Jake Banwert with Baseball and Fast Pitch Academics Midwest out of Indianapolis, and you're listening to the Baseball Playground. Be sure to follow them on Instagram and YouTube at the Baseball Playground.